this is the Offside Rule WSL edition. It's me, Kate Borsay, flying solo this week, whilst Lindsay, well, she's donned the lederhosen to go hiking in Austria. True fact, everyone. But I'm not alone. Two fantastic studio guests here to talk through the week that saw Arsenal and Man City maintain their 100% start to the season and history in East London as West Ham took on Spurs at the London Stadium. And here to help guide you and me through everything concerned, it's a warm welcome to former Lioness and Chelsea defender Claire Raff Rafferty. Hello, hello, hello. Have you recovered from the World Cup yet? I mean, have you? Uh, I'm starting to think that Lindsay doesn't exist because I actually have never seen her in the studio. <laughs> it's true. I am with him without my partner in, in uh, crime again. She heard that you were coming in and she went off to I Austria, so. Raph. I'm, so. I'm so sorry. <laughs> and it's uh, a warm welcome to the affable, unflappable, incomparable Anne-Marie Batson. Welcome back into the studio. Thank you for that lovely introduction. Hello, both. Uh, well, I know you were covering the West Ham game, as was I, as was Raph. But don't worry, we've studied every inch and every second of every other bit of footage as well to bring you one of the most informed WSL shows out there. This is the Offside Rule WSL edition from Muddy Knees Media. Let's start with our first game then. A huge allocation of tickets for this one, 24,790 and a landmark fixture for West Ham with their first ever game at the London Stadium against Tottenham Hotspur. Both sides looking to record their second consecutive league win. Spurs had the extra edge in the end though. A shame for West Ham who put a whole load of effort into making the game a big occasion, Raf. I mean, there definitely wasn't that many people there. (laughs) I think we can all agree that, but fair enough. It was a very, it actually was an okay atmosphere yeah. considering it's a very big stadium. I'm really disappointed for West Ham just because I thought they were really going to go for it. Yeah. And in the end, it was a little bit deflating. First half, they didn't really get going. It was stuttery, wasn't it, the yeah. first half? And as a former West Ham player yourself, you've not long yeah. left the club really. What do you think? Do you think the girls were intimidated by the atmosphere? No, I just don't think that's a valid reason. They played it at the F- in the FA Cup final in front of 40,000, so mm. enough of them did anyway. I know they've, they've, they've had, what, seven new signings, but still, you know, I, I had high expectations. And I, before the mm. game, I was bringing up Martha Thomas, saying how great she is. And then, you know, so unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately they, they didn't quite, you know, come to fruition. And hats off to Spurs, actually. I thought they came with a lot of heart. They were very brave. Did Spurs surprise you as well, Amory? I wasn't really surprised, to be honest, because I watched Spurs when they're at Stamford Bridge on that opening day of the WSL. And I was really impressed at the way that they set up and managed to control the game for the first 10, 15 minutes against Chelsea. And then obviously Chelsea started to dominate. Watching the game yesterday, it was the same thing. They came out of the blocks really, really quickly. What stood out for me was Ayan down on the right because she caused West Ham a lot of problems. She went that wide with the ball. They were struggling to contain her. And I think particularly in that first half where she helped set up some of the scoring opportunities, I thought she was really, really impressive. Not to see Gemma Davison on the team sheet was a big surprise to us because I thought, oh, that may be a hiccup. That may be a We hadn't actually heard about that, had we, before the game. And I saw her sitting on the bench with a boot on and I was like, "Uh uh-oh, okay." And that was my kind of, well, that's been my sort of um, line of doom really since (laughs) since the start of the season, that if they do have injuries to key players like Gemma and Rachel Finesse as well, that they might struggle. But, you know, happy to hold my hands up, completely wrong about that. I think you're spot on though about um, Rosella Ayan being the outlet for them. She was so dangerous and I thought it was Mm. just so obvious. 
and West Ham really just couldn't deal with it. I know they were pushing on to try and win the game, but actually they caused their own problems because of that. They weren't switched on. And she wasn't just, you know, playing wide right or right or wide left. She was rotating time yeah, and time again. She was, and she, was. she linked up really well with Rihanna yeah. Dean, who scored the first goal for Spurs. Hannah, Hannah Godfrey at the back as well, I thought, was really, really strong yeah. for Spurs as well. So they did it at both ends. Lucy Quinn, um, she scored Spurs' second raff on her birthday. Um, I didn't know that. I didn't know it was her birthday. <laughs> yeah, 26 I mean, years old. Teeth, happy birthday. Um, <laughs> but... That that was. I'm, I'm obviously going to look at it from a West Ham perspective, but there was b- bad defending. They they couldn't clear the ball properly. It bounced around in the box, and you know it was quite fortuitous how it fell to Lucy Quinn. But and yeah. that absolutely killed the game. Well, let's hear from both sides post match. Firstly, West Ham and their captain Jilly Flaherty, who was understandably upset with the way that this one went. Disappointed, frustrated, deflated. <laughs> It's, it's really hard because I said at the start you don't want to come here to a stadium like this and remember it as the time you got beat to Spurs and that's happened. It's, it's, it's hard to put into words how gutted you are because I think when we played them at Rush Green, apart from a spell of 10 minutes or so when they come back, we were the better team and I believe that this team well, is, is the best West Ham I've played, a team I've played in but there's no way we should be performing like that and having that result. What do you think happened? Do you think the team felt a bit intimidated by the atmosphere? Was there any of that? Yeah, I don't know if it's intimidated, but maybe the occasion. Spurs were on the front foot from the first go and sort of wanted the fight and we didn't match it. And it's you now what you can have all the chances in the world, which if we had them chances and we put it in the net, you could be three, four, one up. And then again, then they, they get a the second, which then kills us because we're still pushing towards the end to get a goal. But you know what? It could be a blessing in disguise for us. Um, it happened last year when we lost 7-1 to City. Everything seems all rosy. We put in a really good performance against Chelsea last week, but what's the point if you're not picking up the points? So some straight talking from Jill Flaherty, as always. Uh, Matt Beard told me, after the game something a little bit different to what Gilead said actually that he felt that they might perhaps be a little bit overawed by the occasion Um, Marie what do you think in terms of West Ham and why they weren't clicking yesterday because they had a really good period didn't they where we all thought that they were going to level and then it just went against them and Spurs you know through Lucy Quinn um, scored another what can we pinpoint about West Ham's performance here? The second half for me, I think the momentum changed because you could feel that there was a, another goal coming, the most likely from Spurs obviously scoring, but you were hopeful given the chances that West Ham had, particularly mm-hmm. in the first half, you think, OK, numbers game, somebody's going to convert and West Ham will get that goal. And you could hear the crowd. They didn't really warm up in the first half. If I be really honest, they were very, very quiet. I think that second half, the, the crowd helped to galvanise mm-hmm. West Ham try and encourage them to get that goal and I think definitely once that second one went in it was it was game over yeah, it really for it killed the game for them really and their heads dropped a little bit I spoke to Matt Beard after the game and he said exactly what he said to you Kate that he felt that the I felt overawed by the occasion they just couldn't get out of first gear at all and I, I agree with Raph I don't think they can use that as an excuse I'm sorry Irons but I think the fact that they've played at Wembley as Raph has pointed out and rightly pointed out 
it should have been just a game for them. And when we spoke to Jilly before the game, she's like, it's not about the stadiums getting the three points. Mm. That's all we are thinking about is getting the three points. I thought, that's great. That's confident. It's a bit of swagger. Yeah. We're going for a top game here. If I was not being impartial, I would say I felt gutted for them because, of course, there's been a huge amount of money gone into holding this yeah. game at this incredible stadium. And it was a great event and they had a kids zone on. They did loads of marketing for it. They had a mixture of tickets that were £2 each and then also some given away to the local community as well. So they sort of did a half and half if you look at how Chelsea and Stamford Bridge approached their game with free tickets and how Manchester City approached their game with United and charged for tickets. So, so, so it was a half-half move, I guess, from them. So I was upset for them. And of course, it would have been lovely, wouldn't it, for them to play their first game in, in that stadium and win. I felt even sort of more sorry for them, I guess, because of the nature in which they lost the game, because it just, it just felt like it wasn't clicking for them. Uh, let's hear from Spurs manager Karen Hills, full of praise for her squad after the game. This is all what it's about. It's about getting points on the board and putting performances in. I think the girls were absolutely outstanding and deserve those three points. And also it, it, it helps us to, to sustain what we're actually trying to achieve. And it is all part of the journey uh, and part of the learning that we've, we've come on. And you've got to remember, we've only been together a very, very short time. But I thought today we looked so together, so focused. And, and like I said, thoroughly deserve that three point. Raf, West Ham desperately trying to win two league games back to back we know that that was a struggle last yeah. season as well and the last thing the team need of course is to go back into that horrible period last season where I think for West Ham they always up their game against the better teams and probably don't do quite as well against the lesser teams so to speak and I think the game yesterday is, is one that they should have won so they'll be looking back and feeling like that's mass- three massive points lost they actually chose that fixture because it was a more winnable fixture yeah. So oh, okay. as I as I understand it, yeah, yeah, because because you would if you were yeah. marketing a game, wouldn't you? Of course you would. Yeah. And the fact that it's a London derby obviously added a bit of spice. What happened last season, Raf, when there was that awful run of results and how did the team get out of it? Yeah, Where did the, the direction come from? What we were doing, we were losing to Man City and Arsenal. We weren't losing to, uh, you know, no disrespect at all, to Bristol or them kind of teams. We would, you know, maybe we'd, we'd lose halfway in the season but actually we were picking up points we were drawing we were I, I don't know I, I think Matt Beard is, is probably very very frustrated because of that I don't know what more he can probably do they've got better players this season they should be doing better so there's no excuses for me they just need to put this one behind them maybe and then focus on the next yeah. game there's always going to be one game that they're going to look back on going we should have done mm-hmm. better and I, I believe in West Ham I believe in Matt Beard's philosophy and the fact they've got some fantastic players in there I think they'll come good I think they just need to just chalk this one off and put Mm -hmm. it down to you know lessons learned move on on to our next game coming into the weekend the top two in the table clashed it was boggy soggy and sloggy as Man City ended Everton's 100% record thanks to a perfectly placed Steph Horton free kick the free kick to be taken and it's Horton who drills it low and in and City have an early lead only six minutes gone and their captain puts them in front with a perfectly placed free kick. So Man City, three straight wins to start their Women's Super League season, something they also achieved in 2016 and in the 2017-18 season too. The highlights, camera angle, it was basically like watching through bubble wrap, wasn't it? Um, awful conditions at Southport, Anne-Marie. Absolutely horrendous conditions. I mean, I'm, I'm not a referee, so I'm not going to try and second guess, but wherever that pitch inspection was before, I don't know how it managed to pass yeah 
miss yeah. it because you could see within the game as the players are kicking the ball around. There's holding pu- up, wasn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> Puddles, like splashes and everything. But, you know, they got through it. Everton, you know, sadly didn't manage to get it done. But they had opportunities. They had a lot of chances. And looking at the stats, it was fairly even in terms of shots at the goal and shots on target. I think they were just desperately unlucky mm-hmm. not to get that injury time equaliser yeah. you know, and seven minutes in Steph Horton doing what she does best but the weather my goodness <laughs> I mean it must have passed that pitch must have passed by yeah I have stopped playing football yeah. one of one of many reasons but the wet hair can't do it <laughs> <laughs> the makeup for his other yeah. face everything the else mascara no it's another one well as you mentioned Anne-Marie Everton nearly equalised uh, in added on time through a Lucy Graham header that was cleared off the line by City it was going to go into the bottom corner so shame for them they were definitely better in the second half and Willie Kirk the manager acknowledged that uh, at the end of the game Raph Everton though have surpassed expectations mm-hmm. haven't they so far this season they're very well drilled very organised and they're almost everyone's very kind of surprised but go back maybe five years Everton were were the team to beat they were you know full of England internationals Mo Marley was heading them up and they were I feel like at this moment in time if you know women's football you know that that's kind of where Everton used to be so it's not as such a surprise but to kind of the new fans I think people are like oh Everton are up there and thereabouts but they've got a lot of history in in women's football and you know what? They've actually got decent players, and he's he's done well to organise them. They're not they don't you know they're not going to change the world, but they're they're doing very very yeah. well. Chloe Kelly again, who scored those two brilliant goals. Mm-hmm. Do you remember a couple of weeks ago? She she had a really strong period where um, City couldn't couldn't really get near to her. Um, are they going to carry on this form, Everton? Raf, do you think based on what you've seen of them so far this season? Similar to to Spurs, what we're saying about the depth of the squad, it's all just dependent on if the players stay fit. I think. It's a, it's a long season and one draw, one loss can, is the difference between, you know, almost top and bottom these days. So I think they can, but they need to be scoring more goals to do so. We've got an international break coming up, but Everton uh, next are away to face Kelly Chambers' Reading women at Adams Park uh, on the 13th of October. Man City, by the way, host Birmingham next. OK, let's move on to what is traditionally a hot-to-trot tie, Man United versus Liverpool. First time, of course, that these two sides have met in the Women's Super League, two of the most recognised clubs in the world. No shame, really, in Man United still looking for their first win of the season before this game. Liverpool have endured, by contrast, a torrid time so far. That poor form continued in this game. They lost 2-0 away from home. Man United's goals coming from Lauren James. A good winger does, helping back defensively. She's given it away in a terrible area, though. Sigsworth inside for James. Lauren James! She's 17 years old. She turns 18 tomorrow. And what a birthday present that is for her. And a penalty converted by Katie Zellum. So, so Anne-Marie, after United's tough start to the season, 1-0 losses to City and Arsenal against tough competition, uh, did this match give us a better understanding of where the club I think so, absolutely. I think it gave a good sign as to what Casey Stoney's been trying to do over the last few weeks and also showed their their quality that they have in in their squad. I mean, Lauren James is is a Mm -hmm. proper star for them. You know, those first two games, it's going to be a difficult encounter against those two. But with this, you're expecting a bit of spice, a bit of feistiness, and you definitely got that in that game. And I think for, you know, for Manchester United women, they will want to show what they have. And they definitely did that at the weekend. Are you encouraged by them, Raph? They're obviously the, the kind of new kids on the block yeah. in every respect, really. We played them last season in the Cup and I knew that they were 
good and they were going to be good, but they actually were really well organised. That sounds quite boring, but actually the players that Casey has in there, similar to Everton almost, they're not going to, you know, because Jackie Rona didn't play, Jane Ross didn't play. If you take them away, really, who's their superstar? Obviously, Lauren James scored a fantastic goal, but they've got players that you wouldn't really expect to be kind of... Players like and they and they are. Leah Galton also is someone that we've picked out before here on the show, and it won't be a surprise to Manchester United women fans. But I think to people coming new into the game or perhaps don't know so much about the team, she's someone who looks mm-hmm. solid and it is obviously quality. And I think that's where Casey Stone has done really well in selecting players like Galton who have um, a, a certain amount of heritage to them. In Galton's case, she played college football over in the US. She had a stint at Sky Blue and at Bayern Munich yeah. as well. And I think, you know, for a lot of players abroad, particularly English players abroad, they've seen this emergence of the WSL as a great reason to get back into it. And and we're actually starting to see a lot of the talent that we didn't know we had. Yeah, I think these players are thriving. I think that second goal for United, she drove into the box, very direct movement and kind of thought process to uh, get to the byline across the ball. But in the end, she ended up getting fouled and they got their penalty from it. And I think that's... It's almost, it's not no frills because she's obviously very talented and gifted, but it's, Casey's got them knowing exactly what they need to do to win games, which is which is Casey's only all over. I know yeah. Casey very well. She's tactically astute. So she will get them playing to a T of, of their key strengths. And I mean, it's, it's working for them, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, if you look at this, I was just having a quick look at the stats. I mean, compared, Liverpool women had 51% of the possession, but yet Man United had we had 23 shots on target yeah, and exactly. 10 of those sorry 23 shots and then 10 of those on target mm. that's amazing a quick word on Liverpool. I'm a Liverpool fan and even I'm kind of over talking right. about how awful things yeah. are going. I thought Vicky Jepsen post-match was a bit more positive than she had been. She said, we've got to be more clinical in front of goal, finding the end product. We are creating, which is good, but we've got to start finding the back of the net. Raf, one big issue for you with Liverpool, though. Defensive errors and decision-making has been bad, I think. I know that, obviously, uh, Neve Fahi was sent off in the last game, so she didn't play. But, you know, Sophie Bradley and, and Neve are very experienced players and you'd, you'd think that they'd be really kind of getting a grip of the team. But sometimes it doesn't just come, come from the centre-backs. It's the midfield, it's the attacking, you know, doing doing the defensive work, which mm. is kind of letting them down, I think. Are they lacking a leader no, on the pitch, maybe? I, I thought know. Courtney Sweetman-Kirk is, is a natural leader. That's mm. who I thought was their, their talis person for the team. But I didn't see much of her yet in, t- in terms of the match. She didn't I don't really, know what's going on there, yeah, but it's just not working, is it? It's not clicking. And, you know, in a particularly hostile environment, you would think that, that mm. they would rise to the occasion and just just let them just play their game. But, yeah, you're right. It's, it's worrying mm. times, I think. You know, three losses out of three isn't a good start. Yeah, and there was... Um, Quite a bit of um, chanting going on during the game. Most of it was well-mannered. Vicky Jepsen even applauding some of the Manchester United fans when their balmy army was uh, was sort of uh, laying into the opposition team. But we, we have had reports and the FA are investigating offensive chanting during that game. So we'll have to wait and see what the outcome of that is. Not a great note uh, really to sign off that game on. You're listening to The Offside Rule, WSL edition from Muddy Knees Media. 
Let's move on to Bristol, who took on Chelsea and Chelsea's only summer signing, Guru Wrighton, scoring in quick succession to give her side the early advantage. Chelsea were easily the better side, 3-0 up inside 17 minutes, thanks to Jiso Young, before Sophie Ingle added another from close range inside the last 15 minutes. Uh, Raf, your team... <laughs> It's been a bit of a slow start to the season, a, kind yeah. of a little bit juddery. But will this game, do you think, be the turning point for them? I'm relieved, actually, that they managed to kind of win so emphatically. It was good to see Fran back in and she was creating a lot, not scoring herself, but she was very much involved in a lot of the um, goals. I just think it's probably a bit of a relief of pressure from Chelsea. We all know what they can do. They just haven't quite been on the same page. You saw Arsenal beat Brighton I think it was 4-0 wasn't yeah. it and the two weeks ago Chelsea couldn't quite do that and that's been the difference so far and I've said it time and time again one win or draw or loss in this league is the difference between first or out of Champions League so I'm, I'm relieved for them but I still think they need to be proving themselves against the better teams Yeah Guru Wrighton uh, with the, the first two of those goals she scored a brace um, good to see her up and running and you know, I think Chelsea surprised me in their start to the season because they are the only team who's made such such a small amount of signings one. So you expected them to be gelling right from the start. So good to see her get on the score sheet. Do you like the way that Emma Hayes is approaching things at, at Chelsea and Marie? They obviously had that really tough start to the season last season, didn't they? But from what you've heard of Emma Hayes, do you think things will now keep progressing in the right direction for them? They want Champions League football. That's that's their goal for them. It'd be you know it's an, it's nice to be winning the league and you know also in terms of the domestic up. But she wants Champions League football. I sensed her disappointment that Chelsea hadn't started as quickly out of the blocks as she'd wanted, like last season, because she wouldn't want that repeated mm. again now. And I and I agree totally what with what Raf said. It just relieved that pressure. So hopefully that's now start of a good good run. You know to be you know scoring what two goals in ten minutes. And the number of shots that Chelsea had, Sophie Bagley was busy yeah. yesterday. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's thanks to her that Chelsea didn't get even more in, to be honest with you. But this is hopefully, as like Raf said, this relieves the pressure and it starts a good run for the Chelsea side. For Bristol City, Raf, Tanya Ox to be their manager blamed individual errors in this game. Yeah, I, I obviously didn't see the game live, but watching the highlights, there were some strange defensive decisions I'm saying that as a defender just because that's what I watch more so than when mm. a goal was scored. But just out of position, maybe a bit of naivety, following players rather than holding your position. So I, I, I don't blame her for, for saying that, so to speak. But I think the Bristol are not in a good place either, are they? Them and Liverpool are struggling so far this yeah, season. Yeah, they've only recorded a draw this season, Bristol. They lost the other two games. They're now winless in their last six women's Super League matches, if you're to run that on from last season too. Okay, same scoreline for Arsenal. Brighton, Arsenal turned on the charm, looked pretty damn slick to me against Brighton. Goals for Kim Little set up by Vivian Miedemar, who then scored one of her own. Daniela van der Donk added her first before Jordan Nobbs got her tally underway with her first league goal after spending months recovering from the ACL knee injury. Three wins from three then for reigning champs Arsenal and Marie. They sit top of the table. Some decent play from them on the ball. I'm going to put my fan hat on for a second <laughs> and say that was absolute perfection from Arsenal. If that was to show what Arsenal's all about, that was the game. 
and you know hats off to to Brighton I know they would have tried to put in a good shift but this is Arsenal that we're talking about if I put my journalist hat on again it's a very good strong stable start from Montemuro's team and Jordan Nobbs sits in the heart of that I think they've desperately missed her in terms of creativity but again you know injuries fingers crossed that they can keep injury free and I always go back to the fact that you know Arsenal did win the league despite the losses of you know Jordan Nobbs and Kin Little due to injury if they can keep those two injury free fingers crossed touchwood and all that kind of thing I think Arsenal got a good chance of you know defending their title this season. What gave Arsenal the difference last season because they did have injury problems they were without a full squad I think at one point weren't they they were mm-hmm. sort of really really in a bit of trouble but what was key for them last season do you think Raph if you had to try and put your finger on it? I can only just think about when we played against them and it's just their movement incredible interchanging positions Van der Donk Medima Beth Mead like to really really hard players to play against because they're intelligent and they were full of confidence and I think you know when you win back-to-back games like they have done for a long time now it pains me to say it because I just don't like to see us do well but <laughs> they are a very good team you're so. meant to have your journalist hat on us <laughs> I, too no, I don't, I'm not a journalist Leah Williamson I saw that she'd been moved up into midfield an interesting move from Jay Montemurro there it is. She actually started out as a midfielder mm-hmm. and then moved into defence and, and, and he's been moved into back into the midfield again. I'd love to ask her, what is her preference, though? Or does she like being that versatile player? Does she like being a Rachel Daly and being able to, you know, be moved around? I, personally, I prefer her in defence. I think that's her strongest suit. She probably disagreed with me, but I, I think it was interesting to see that Joe is able to do that and he has the players to rotate around within his squad. And I think it depends how they want to play, because if they yeah. want to play out from the back, of course, you'd put Leah there. But if that's not the right approach or, or this is a particular game plan from mm-hmm. Joe, perhaps that's why he's then moving Leah forward, because because her her way of kickstarting attacks is, is strong and shielding the bat line, using her defensive skills by um, sitting in front of the bat line. Interesting thought for England, though, maybe, is that she seems to um, be struggling to be selected by Phil Neville, which is... Uh... Yeah, it's a really odd one for me. I, it's a no-brainer. Yeah. I think she's done, done so well for Arsenal. And she, she, I know she's not the captain, but she's a leader, so to speak. She's oh, been there a long, so, long time. Yeah. She's um, also an investment for the future exactly, as well. She's been there a long time. What's keeping her out of the England side? Because we're, mean, of course, going to see them in action. We saw some defensive errors in that World Cup that we've all commented on and for me it would have been a perfect opportunity to start this kind of new campaign to put her in and he hasn't so you know he probably sees something that maybe we don't Uh, maybe he's waiting for her to develop a little bit more who knows yeah Brighton have uh, recorded a couple of draws so far this season not done badly at all really better than we um, I think they were just outclassed by Arsenal in this one and Hope Powell pretty much said the same thing after the game Uh, thanks to Arsenal women's Twitter account by the way for this butte Uh, Nobbs's volley so the fourth goal for Arsenal ended a 15 strike run of goals scored with alternating feet so literally gone right left right left right left Nobbs responded to that tweet and said that she didn't get the memo sorry about the alternating feet take a note of that someone who's clearly dedicated has got a lot more time than us lot well a typical performance from the champions but it's the Champions League draw that we're interested in with Arsenal and of course with Manchester City as well producer Abby has all the details on this one Well, the Champions League draw has happened for the round of 16. And here's a breakdown on how the draw works. We had eight seeded teams where we find the likes of Man City, Lyon, Wolfsburg, Paris Saint-Germain, Barcelona, Bayern Munich and others. 
and eight unseeded teams where we found Arsenal, Atleti and Glasgow City. The way it worked was a seeded team would face an unseeded team. Now, making her star turn, picking balls out of a bowl, was Karen Carney. And this is how the eight matches have turned out. Glasgow City face Bromby, Barcelona take on Minsk, Rikodbik from Kazakhstan, they face Bayern Munich, Lyon, the champions, the holders, they're taking on Fortuna Huring, PSG take on Bridabilk from Iceland, Wolfsburg from FC20, Slavia Prague take on Arsenal and the headline tie, Manchester City versus Atletico Madrid. The fixtures will be played on the 16th to 17th October and the second leg, the 30th to the 31st of October. And to go through it all, I am joined by Stilberto, a.k.a. Tim Stillman. Now, Tim, welcome. Given the choices of Lyon, PSG, Wolfsburg or Barcelona, Arsenal, they've really dodged a bullet with Slavia Prague, haven't they? Yeah, absolutely. I think before this draw, you were looking at either Slavia Prague or Bromby as the only ties where Arsenal would be the outright favourites. Um, you know, Slavia Prague, they did quite a job on Hibernian in their round of 32 tie, so I don't think we can kind of entirely write them off, but you would fancy Arsenal to go through that. So what do we actually know about the Czech team? <laughs> Weirdly enough, I, I had this conversation with um, Sophie Lawson, who, if you're really looking for information on any slightly obscure women's team, that's pretty much where you go. Yeah. Um, and, and Sophie told me uh, that, that actually Slavia Prague are quite a handy side and probably not to be underestimated. Quite good going forward, uh, which will be interesting because um, you'd kind of maybe expect them to try and contain Arsenal, but it doesn't really sound like that that's, that's how they play. So it, it could be quite an open and entertaining tie. Joe Montemuro, though, given Arsenal's run of fixtures around the time that these matches are being played, are we likely to see him resting players? I, Joe pretty much never rests players. And to be honest, Arsenal don't really have the squad to do that. They've got quite a tight, small squad. The, the only thing that might come into the reckoning is I think he'll want this done after the first leg. Because uh, as it stands, we'll play at home first. But also, just before the second leg, Arsenal play Manchester City in the WSL. And I think he'll be looking at that and thinking, well, Manchester City have probably got a more difficult tie than Arsenal. So perhaps Arsenal could put more into the WSL tie and, and hopefully be able to rest some players for the second leg. But to be honest, that isn't really how Joe tends to operate. No. Now, speaking of Manchester City, as I said, they've probably got the pick tie of the round. Atletico Madrid are their opposition. The Tony Duggan derby. I'm stealing that from you, Tim. Um, but the Spanish side not really got going this season. Perhaps 6-1 was their loss to Barcelona a couple of weeks ago. So will City be feeling confident going into this one? I, I think so, yes. Obviously, now this is the tie where Man City went out last year to Atleti and, and that was a, a bit of a surprise. I watched Atleti's game against Barcelona and they really were all over the place. I mean, Barca's front three, to be fair, I mean, that day, Oshwala, Caroline Graham, Hansen and Jenny Hermoso kind of made light work of them. And for some reason, Atleti weren't playing Sari Van Dien and Darling goal that day. I think they were taught a lesson for doing that. <laughs> um, however, you know, this is quite a new Atleti team. And Man City, I think, you know, they've had a little bit of upheaval, but I think they're in a more settled place than Atleti are. I'd fancy them to take this and I fancy that they'll want to prove a point because they, they would, would have been hugely disappointed last year with going out to them. And finally, Tim, looking at the eight fixtures we've got, are we likely to see any upsets, do you think? I don't think there'll be any upsets. However, I think Man City Athletic is a really interesting tie. I think 
the most interesting, possibly the closest tie is Bromby versus Glasgow City. Mm. I think that's a really, really interesting one. And that, that's probably the one that's the most difficult to call. And, uh, you know, if, if Arsenal kind of perhaps got a bit of a plum draw of the seeded sides, then Glasgow City got the other one. And obviously they've got lots of experience in this competition as well. And, and, and I think if you were looking for kind of a close nip and tuck game where it's difficult to pick a winner, I think that's the one. Tim, thank you very much. Pleasure. So there we have it. Arsenal taking on Slavia Prague, Manchester City face Atletico Madrid and to complete the home nation interest, Glasgow taking on Brondby. That is your Champions League roundup. Producer Abby uh, clearly aiming to take this job one day. Thanks, Abby, for that. <laughs> Quickly time to mention Vivian Miedemar's thoughts on not being included in the FIFA Pro World Eleven. She told Tim Stillman, I think we all know it's about popularity and I don't post much on Instagram or Twitter, so that's probably what went wrong. I don't really give up about individual awards, <laughs> to be honest, but I think it's a joke. Straight talking. Do we agree with her, Raf? I mean, she clearly sounds like she does care. <laughs> But I do agree with her, actually. You know, Sam Kirk can argue the same story. You know, top goal scorer in the NWSL, Medima, likewise. I think it's actually just about the visibility of, of these goals and how well these players are doing. It will change. There'll be more opinions on stuff. But I remember when we used to vote for the for the uh, FIFA Pro and I'd be scratching my head for for players to think of because yeah. actually if they've not won a World Cup or they're not involved in the latter stages of a tournament you actually don't really know who you were voting no, for No, because of so the I lack of coverage I think that's probably one of the issues and yeah. maybe if she tweeted a bit more <laughs> There we go, Viv <laughs> jump on Twitter if you dare It would be interesting if the uh, volume of her, in, of her Insta and Twitter <laughs> yeah. posts sufficiently went up from now on well, at the weekend, it's international break as England face Brazil up in Middlesbrough. We'll have an England legend in our ranks too, so make sure you're subscribed to hear that. That's it for our roundup of all things WSL today. Make sure you're subscribed to the feed so you can hear the show as soon as it goes live. Don't forget it's a separate feed and do give us a five-star review as well. We love reading them and it helps other people find us too. Raf and Anne-Marie, thank you for your nice. insight. You're welcome. And listeners, until next time, stay safe, go to a match and tell your friends about us. Bye. You've been listening to the Offside Rule WSL edition, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddyneesmedia.com. And for more from the Offside Rule, head to our website, offsiderulepodcast.com.